guess what we need to do now is... Go to the pub. Thought you weren't drinking. All right, Sprite police, keep your hair on. I can go to the pub and have a soft one. It's not like I'm going to try and score everyone out the jukebox. Right, I'll go first, get the drinks in. Usual, everyone? Yeah, it's not very usual for you to put your hand in your pocket. You're on fire today, Sal. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I lose myself a naggy wife, getting the ability to do this. Welcome to episode 136 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that still isn't sure if Sally's heart this week was a pie or a flan, and has even seen commentary online that it was a quiche. I'm Gavin. And I'm sitting in a bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) And a bunch of pillows. (laughs) It is a little weird. It's like I'm doing this podcast with a ghost. (laughs) Because I'm looking at your chair and it's empty. I am a ghost. I am the ghost of Ted Danson's character from Three Men and a Little Lady. Oh, no. Or no, no, Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> yeah, that would have been funny if you were the right first time, but never mind. <laughs> How are you doing? Well, I've been better. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, it is it is what it is, you know. Dad's sort of recovering in... In some aspects and other aspects are, you know, slow going, but he's still, he's, he is still among us. Right. So that's, you know, that's good. That's a positive. Yeah. And he's getting looked after and he's not having to look after other people at the moment. So it's all just about him getting better, which is, right. Which is important. So you're in Florida and in a different time zone. Yes, I'm in Florida in a different time zone. It's like a whole new world down here. Because it'll be warm, I guess, right? Warmer. Yeah, it's fucking freezing here. It's really cold. It's like in the 50s, 60s range for the most part, but it's really windy and gray and stuff for the most part. Like yesterday morning when I woke up and went outside the the artificial plants that decorate my little my little porch on my little cabin had blown over. So news at eleven. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that's gonna make Florida news. <laughs> I think other things have happened this week that might take a little bit of May take precedence, precedence yes. Yeah. The interesting yeah, thing that's happened although, this week is that we've got more Twitter followers than Donald Trump at the moment. Well, everyone has more Twitter followers than Donald Trump. That'll be the the joke then. Because Donald Trump is no longer on Twitter. Right. It's so nice. It's 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 so nice to say that out loud. Donald Trump is no longer on Twitter. (laughs) He has lost his precious. I didn't really read him an awful lot anyway, so I'm not going to miss it. No, I had him blocked already, so it doesn't matter too much. Wind is a big deal down here, though, because. the main bridge between where I'm at and Pensacola, where my dad is at, blew out in Hurricane Sally. So a 15-minute drive is now a half-hour drive, which is fine. There's no plans it's all to fix fine. It. 
I'm hoping they're going to fix it, but you know, it's a long bridge. It, it'll, it'll take a while. So, and you can still see, you know, some houses and some businesses and churches and stuff that still have tarps on their roofs from the hurricane this year. You know, hurricanes didn't really make the news very often this year because for some reason there was other stuff going on. I wonder why the weather didn't make it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. But anyway, we're not here to talk about hurricanes. No. No, we're here. To- so strange. I got a, um, a message from Chris, yes, that one, who had listened to the podcast and heard that... Um, you know, we were in strange circumstances again and, and offered these services like before to um, to fill your seat. Mm-hmm. And that would have been, I think, less weird than this. Because normally really? you're here. Yeah, because normally you're here. Mm. Mm. And normally you're, um, I don't know, it's, I knew this was going to be strange. It is strange. Have you managed to watch Coronation Street, though? That's that's the main thing. Yes. <laughs> of course. I sit in my little bed when I get home, and I watch Coronation Street. It's the only thing I've watched this week, right. except for a little bit of basketball. <laughs> my dad can now watch TV, so we watched some basketball. Right. <laughs> and some National Geographic show about life above the Arctic Circle. Wow, that's And a- that's it. That's a, a heady mix of yes <laughs> of entertainment. I didn't even know that the New Orleans Pelicans were a thing. They've been a thing for a couple of years, was... I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had no idea. That's that's how much I've been following, you know, the NBA. Nobody watches days. NBA, do they? I don't know. I Did your dad watch night. NBA? Not not normally, but I don't know. It seems to distract him a little bit, so that's good. Well, the good news at this side is that nothing has nothing has burned down yet. Okay, touch wood. There we go. And you've managed to do the laundry and not uh, pull a Paddington? Pull a Paddington. Is that a euphemism for something? Is that like going to wait to clear my head? What happened when Paddington Baird did the laundry medallion? Oh, everything went pink. Yeah, no, yes. we're, we're, we're fine with that. <laughs> How's the dog? The dog's an asshole as usual. <laughs> the dog now knows uh, when I'm sitting in the office on, at work. Mm-hmm. When I stand up, I can hear him in the living room jump down from the couch and start running towards the <laughs> the office door because he knows <laughs> I'm about to come out and I might be taking him for a walk. <laughs> but we're walking with Steve a little bit a uh, couple of times this week. He seems to be rather keen on walking with Dobby, which was, I don't know how I'd feel about walking with somebody else's dog, but he doesn't seem to bother. Well, you know, he's allergic, so he's just living vicariously. (laughs) Right. Shall we preamble then, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that Cory news. There... I'm sure lots of things happened to people who star in Coronation Street this week, but I did not have a chance to to research it. I apologize to any member of the <laughs> cast and crew who may have won an award or been knighted this week, anyone who may have died, anyone who may have given birth, anyone who may have fallen ill with the COVID. 
I apologize, and we'll cover it next week. But how are we supposed to keep track of what Lucy Fallon's up to? <laughs> She's supposedly sailing around the country. How's that going? We don't know. There's no way of finding out. I think that's done now. Is it? I think. I think they've. I don't think it's aired, but I think they're done recording it. <laughs> That'll be fantastic. And now I can, I can hit Hindsight Corner and then this noise happens, but I don't have anything for Hindsight Corner. And another thing I have in the mailbag is just a thanks to all our listeners who got in touch over the past week to wish Helen and Helen's dad thoughts and prayers for his recovery. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much. That has, that has actually really helped me to have everyone's um, support and to read all of those messages of support. So thank you. Please keep them coming. And now, this. I can hear it faintly. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're actually bang on. <laughs> I should I'm point a pro. out that uh, Helen can't hear the sting music. <laughs> That I'm playing through I could there. very, I could very faintly hear it. Oh, you probably heard it through have, uh, my headphones going through the microphone. Yeah, that's probably how you heard it. Because I thought <laughs> that's kind of spookily, spookily accurate. Mm-hmm. So just enough time to talk about a chipped cat. A kept cat. Chipped cat. Oh, is this when Steve had that cat? Mm-hmm. This was Steve a... and Tracy's cat that has that hasn't shown back up again. Basically, that's exactly yeah. what I've written. But this was really the start of the Oliver storyline because Leanne's nose was put out of joint when Steve couldn't look after Oliver because he was getting right. Tracy's cat chipped. And I don't think we've seen sight of that cat since. I was Gavin Didn't and I could, they maybe have to get rid of it because they discovered that somebody was allergic? I can't remember. And that's how they got rid of the cat? No idea. I was Gavin and I couldn't make out what you were. <clears throat> it sounds like you were eating a cookie. I've no idea. You were, however, feeling better than last week, and we're back at the helm of all your community shite. It took us three minutes to mention all of our other podcasts. You somehow found someone else in town who collects dead presidents. It was Snowmageddon. It was Snowmageddon week. That was us under a weather warning, and we were waiting for the power to go out as we were recording, which didn't happen. That was a year ago. Excellent. Jade finally reveals her true intent while Fizzy's worst nightmares that don't involve Tyrone come true and Shona remains in a coma for another week. Gemma and Chesney get some sleep in a fancy cottage while chaperones pretend to be them for a fresh ghost suit which results in Dave firing Ches twice in 24 hours. Roy has a listen to Aggie's backstory and pretends that he cares. Tim's dad insults Yasmin's lovely cardigan. Gail confirms that brainstem activity is a good thing. Daniel's beard is coming along. Paula bathes in her work clothes apparently. Her, mo- her moment of the week was Leanne's eye popping out of her head when she overhears that Tracy's now a lesbian. And her boring moment <laughs> of the week was Daniel explaining to Bethany that he's too busy to go for a walk in the park. The year, the year before that, like two years ago, her boring uh-huh. moment of the week was Daniel saying that he was going to get his head shaved and then didn't get his head shaved. <laughs> and that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year and two years ago. Oh dear. Oh, poor Daniel. I remember that scene with Leanne. That was hilarious. Mm-hmm. I really wish they'd kind of kept Tracy bisexual. That was fun. <laughs> Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline today is Gary in the Slammer. 
This was on uh, on Monday. Gary is in jail, son socks. Poor Gary's going to get his toes all cold. And later, Faye's mm-hmm. on the bench when Craig sidles along and Faye wastes no time in getting stuck into him for nicking her brother. But not like that. Craig says he was only doing right. his job by sticking his nose where it wasn't wanted or needed when he saw Gary leave a house where his sister lived through the front door without anyone chasing him. Faye, right. Faye tells him to go arrest himself. Gary's innocent. Craig wants to know how she can be so sure and she tells him to go play in traffic. <laughs> Faye's back home as Maria gets home and Maria explains that he's on remand, Gary that is. Faye's nerves are going. She's nearly blurted out the truth and Maria's feeling the same way. She still wants the world to know that Gary's innocent and shouldn't be banged up. Faye starts worrying about Zach and Izzy and Anna and the other one. Jake, I think. Yeah, Jake. All the family that her actions have taken from Gary. Maria thinks Gary's still doing the right thing in protecting her and urges Faye to speak with her brother before making any rash decisions. Yes. So, so in the prison, Gary thinks all things considered, the two of them are probably sitting in the right seats. He tells her to keep to their story. Eventually, the lies will start to feel like the truth. That was pretty bleak. Yeah, it was. Keep on lying. It sounds like uh, it sounds like our uh, U.S. political situation. Now we don't do that. Just because no. there's been, just because it's been a monumental week, doesn't mean that we're doing that podcast. Oh, okay, fine. Although I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it might be, as well. It'd be interesting to know what the thoughts on events have been in Florida compared with Michigan. I wonder. You know, I haven't. the The only thing I can say is that um, when I was visiting my stepmother, who is also in the hospital because there's nobody to take care of her at home, um, because she has the Alzheimer's. Um, which I don't think I explained last week. Um, one of the nurses, while it was happening, because I was there while it was happening, and that was just really bizarre. You were the hospital the when nurse- it was happening. Yeah, uh, one of the one of the nurses insisted, and I only caught it like briefly while walking out by rooms that had TVs on. One of the nurses insisted that it was Antifa. Um, you know, pretending to be. Trumper people, and that she knew this because her boyfriend told her. Right, because they were all wearing their Antifa uh, t-shirts and right. were humming the Antifa theme tune. Yes, that, that's how you know. Yeah, yeah. While well, saying, you know, stop the count and <laughs> right four more years and all that stuff. Anyway, yeah, it's it's been disconcerting. You know, there have been times I've walked into gas stations and stuff and not only are there people inside the gas station not wearing masks but like the the guys behind the counter will not be wearing masks and i'm like oh really that's bizarre um you know so wow but i but considering that i basically the only three places i go is where i'm staying and one hospital and then another hospital Mm -hmm. you know I, I haven't really seen too much of an impact, except, of course, for the fact that there are so many COVID cases where I'm at right now that my dad had to be moved out of ICU and into the ER overflow because all of the ICU beds are now taken by COVID patients. Right. So, But you're right, it might not be a representative snapshot. No. 
And you're in the panhandle, well, which scary. I guess is different, but yeah, still scary enough. Yes. So PC Tinker. Anyway, Gary. Or PC Tinker, who sees oh, Faye Tinker. in Roy's roles and he wants to know how, again, how she's so sure that Gary is innocent. But once again, Faye storms out. Yeah, and once again, she almost tells the truth and then she storms out instead. Yeah, she goes through a little phase of saying enough that gets his interest going as to how she can be so sure of something. Mm-hmm. And then she realises what she said is going to get her into trouble and get Gary into right. trouble for lying, I guess. And has to storm off, which in itself is in- incredibly incriminating and you know, just weird. Absolutely. So, later on the street, the two meet again and Faye apologises. Craig offers an ear if she needs it. Then along comes Kelly the Chin, who finds this very interesting. Kelly calls Gary a psycho who killed her dad. That's why he was sniffing around her months ago. She just thought that he was being a bit of a pedo, but it turns out that he was a murderer, and PC Tinker urges calm between the two ladies. Mm-hmm. And that's as far as we get with that this week. So there was this whole... Well, except for something that comes in another storyline. Because there's one more time on Friday when Faye almost tells the truth. Oh, yeah. But that's yeah. kind of something else, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so we don't really get all that far with that this week. In fact, nothing really much happens. Everything's kind of status quo. Gary's in jail, doesn't have any socks. You're eating yogurt? No. Oatmeal. Oatmeal, okay. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's not really been nudged that forward all we really get is the uh, the out out spot Macbeth type thing that's going on with with Faye who's eventually obviously going to blurt out that she was one what twatted Adam right although I think she's going to confess to you know she's she's going to blurt out about Ray Weinstein before she blurts out about Adam right one kind of leads into the other doesn't it Right, yeah. She's got a lot to blurt out, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. A whole lot of blotting going on. Yeah. Or almost going on. And then not. <laughs> right. And then she'll probably blurt about Ray raping her first. Because that's going to save the... Because that's the thing that's going to save the gonna street. save the street and save the houses. And yeah. Get, that's, that's pretty much... Ugh, so that means that's kind of... That's why that's there in that storyline. Yep. Ugh. Faye, saviour of the street. Because she got raped, almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no. Oh no, she did. She, she doesn't, did, but she doesn't think she did. Right. Yeah. Which is just the worst part of the storyline. Uh, right. Well, I uh... is the whole. Oh, I think I. You know. No, I let him on. It's all my fault. Uh, I hate that. Yeah. I think that's fine if it gets addressed. I think it's fine that she can think that. Because that's not out with the realms of possibility that she's thinking about it wrong. But you'd want somebody to correct her once this information all comes out. To let her know that just because you don't think that this was really, really bad, it was. I don't know why she didn't mention the fact that... Oh, this is going back to last week, though. That her job kind of depended on this. Right. Because that's a vital bit of information to it, isn't it? Right. Yeah. And, you know... You'd think, you would hope that Maria or Gary would be wise enough to say, no, wait a minute, you know, he's your boss. Right. You know, he has power over you. 
it's not you're not on equal footing this was not your fault yeah there's a power dynamic yeah. that's incredibly important to the whole thing that isn't getting mentioned absolutely so on to our next storyline today which conveniently enough is the coronation towers one this was quite funny on monday Sally has set up a TV in the factory so that she, Abby and David, the latter two who don't work at the factory but are in the factory, can watch the proceedings from the development application thing. And this seemed yeah, to be I a love- kind of theme across the whole street was that everyone was in their little pockets with their video links to this stupid committee thing. Right. It was hilarious. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and everybody in, in every country in the world was like, oh, I've been there this past year. Right. This is hilarious. This is my life. Yep. Yeah. Trying to get video connections. People are right. stuck on mute. There was problems with the sound that I thought was going to be like a bigger thing than it turned out to be. That right. everyone was having problems with it. But again, that was kind of true to life. I, I, for for it not really being all that important and for being there just because it replaces the fact that they would all be there. So they have to see this, but they can't all be there. So let's figure out a way of making this happen. And it's all by video right. link. And that's the only reason it's there. So it's a kind of throwaway thing, but it, it amused me quite greatly seeing somebody, <laughs> seeing Sally going through the HDMI options on the input or on our, on our big TV. That's mm-hmm. what that's what we want to see in Coronation Street is people struggling with technology. Absolutely. Right. So Roy has been the one chosen to make a case against the uh, development, which has peeved Abby somewhat, who thinks it should be hard because she's gobby. Then Brian, who also doesn't work at the factory, comes in to say that Historic England has rejected the application for the brewery copper coil thing, so that's Roy's big ace card fucked. And then he fucks off the speed dial because Alia's set up a TV as well, but she has food. So David, he manages well, to sneak out. Well, they think they, they think she has food. Right, because uh, Brian hasn't had breakfast. And <laughs> David wants a, a cheesy naan samosa or something. I, I can't remember what mm-hmm. it was. Meanwhile... What? He wants something they don't have at the factory. He does not want a pair of knickers. Right. He doesn't want to eat. He chooses samosas over knickers. <laughs> they don't make edible knickers at the fac- at the factory. Who that, knows? that should be that should be something that uh that 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 Nina suggests in the future. After edible the, edible panties. After the success of their people bras from a few weeks ago, who knows what they're producing these days? I know. Meanwhile, Ray and Debbie are excited about the meeting, although Debbie is having a bit of a wobble because of last week's recommendation thing. She insists that she's the definition of business. Sure. Mm-hmm. Everything she touches turns to sold, so let's go and tear this fucking street down, she says. And then Ray comes in his pants a little bit. Mm-hmm. So Ray and Debbie... Are- and he is overly confident. Ray is overly confident. So we know something is wrong. Because the last that we saw this was the recommendation that went against them. The guy that they tried right. to bribe would not be bribed. and Yeah, and he was all angry and upset. Mm-hmm. So it came back against them. And he was mm-hmm. all furtive looks to the camera in the, in the shadows of his office, trying to think about a way to... Who can, who can I pull in now? Because I've tried mm-hmm. Dev and I've tried... And now he's managed to get a... He's managed to get another way to get into the... The development good books somehow. Yes. So they're late to the meeting and the female adjudicator asks them to take a seat. Debbie makes AKA a... Lisa Kudrow in a story in a cameo <laughs> role. Right, so it was. Debbie makes a case for Weatherfield being a slum, a favela. Tim, who doesn't work at the factory but is watching the link at the factory, likens Debbie to Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny, I love that. That Thatcher. <laughs> Just like Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I took I took a lot of a lot of um, joy from that. Fresh start <laughs> and new beginnings, says Debbie. And it seems everyone who's watching this stream is having problems with the sound cutting out as Roy makes his argument, which is largely largely based on an increase in traffic and a decrease in affordable housing. It wasn't the strongest argument. I was but expect- it was an argument. I was expecting a little bit better from him. Yeah. Well, I think because uh, Historic England turned down their application, that kind of cut out most mm-hmm. of his speech, I think. Right. So... Then there's a break and the decision is announced uh, and Lisa, Lisa Kudrow has decided to grant the planning permission after all. Coronation Street is, is fucked. I'll be assured that What's rain... wrong with you, Phoebe? <laughs> or maybe it's Ursula. Oh, it's yeah, evil that Ursula. would make sense. Mm-hmm. It's, yes, that makes sense. There's too many Friends references in this podcast. <laughs> there's either that or there's not enough. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe there's not enough. <laughs> Abby is sure that Ray has someone in his back pocket. Or he's in somebody else's back pocket, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Pub, says Abby. And Sally thought that she wasn't drinking anymore. Abby calls her the Sprite Police. And now Roy, who doesn't work at the factory, is at the factory. He thought that he'd done a decent job. Abby calls He got there rather quickly, didn't he? Yeah, and I'm not sure how he knew where they were. Where where is this government office at that they had this meeting? Must, it's just around the corner. I think it was in the toilets of the billiard hall. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably where it was. So uh, Abby calls it a stitch up, and then Sally gets a worrying call from David. Ray's done what she said. He served them eviction notices. They have two weeks to GTF. So already within minutes, within the time it takes from for Roy to get from the development meeting back to the factory, that's how long it takes for Ray to get his eviction notices plastered on the doors of the houses in Coronation Street. No, not, not even that. They were sent to the mail. So, you know, which makes it obvious that he he knew the that, that he's done something deceptive. They just, you know, that should be proof enough. The I fact don't, that he mailed them. They went through the door, but I don't think they were mailed. Mm-hmm. This, this is a, a, a peculiarity. A pecul- say it for me. A peculiarity. Thank you. Of you're welcome. Of a, or a difference between the US and the UK, where there's nothing to stop you putting a letter through someone's letterbox. Yes. Whereas in America, it's a federal offense. Federal offense to fuck about with that sort of thing. Yes. So in the pub, Emma feels David's pain. She got the same letter. Uh, Maybe if she had two kids, a brain-damaged wife, and a gale, they'd be equal, says David. And David <laughs> thinks that these letters are a bit prompt. Something fishy's going on. Sally wants right. to f- fight this. We're a community. And a gale. Right. And it was is a that, gale. Is that the name of the episode this, this week? No. Something, 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 and a gale? No. That's Sprite Police. It's like, uh, it's like when um, in a... The first Avengers movie when, you know, Loki says that he has an army and 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 Iron Man says, we have a Hulk. Right. So David is Iron Man, you know, he says, we have a Gale. <laughs> Gale is the Incredible Hulk. It suggests that there's more than one Gale. <laughs> or there's the potential for more Gales. <laughs> oh, that would be a twist. 
So on the way home, Kev sees Debbie. They've been cloning gales. Right. That's why she's got that hair. That's what Ray's been doing. Oh, oh no. Back away from it. Got a secret laboratory. (laughs) So Kev doesn't know who Debbie is anymore. It's your sister, Kev. Then then Ray reveals how he's got David by the short and curlies thanks to the CCTV. Uh, He can either have his wife or he can have his house, but he can't have both. And Debbie, though, doesn't know why Ray has to ruffle so many feathers and pretend to be the alpha male. Ray Mm -hmm. says, too many oiks have wound him up. So Abby goes to Tracy to explain the situation. And as they're chatting, she decides that someone needs to stop him. And Tracy looks Mm -hmm. at the photo of her mum on the sideboard. And everyone needs to get their Deirdre on. And I thought this was quite a pivotal moment of the whole story. Yeah. Because this feels like this is the the first time that Tracy's really got involved in this. Yeah. There was a whole thing about Oliver and selling the cab office and and that kind of thing. That was the office storyline. The Oliver storyline, rather, that... um, that kind of touched this, but she's not really been too involved in the whole. We're going to knock down the street and build a skyscraper, but right. get but getting Tracy involved, who's then looking at a picture of her mum. You thought, well, this is a secret weapon that the Rebel Alliance are looking for. This yeah. is this is the plans for the Death Star. Right, and yet we don't see Tracy again this week. <laughs> Nothing happened. <laughs> No, no. I was really excited by this. I fully expected the very next episode to open with, you know, Tracy and Abby scheming for, you know. Right, because Tracy's not had any real uh, uh, involvement in this, she's kind of off everybody's radar. Yeah. Nobody's nobody's expecting the Spanish Tracy to do anything about Mm -hmm. anything. So she can kind of go under the radar and... And do some some plotting and scheming. And I was saying to Timbot four thousand about it. Uh-huh. And and, yes. and he said Timbot four thousand says shit just got interesting. That's what he was at with the whole Tracy thing. That shit that, has that, just got interesting. Oh, okay. And I, then, I, and, I thought maybe he had uh, he had said something about uh Tim's dad throwing shite at himself, <laughs> which he really can't do anymore. No. Tim no. Timbot doesn't say that anymore. Oh, okay. That's a wee shame. <laughs> That's really bummed me out. to find somebody else to fling shit at themselves. <laughs> I'm just pleased that we've got Tim's mum. As, yes. as we lose a Tim's dad, we gain a Tim's mum. That's, that's what's right, made me happy. Right, which is a fair, a fair trade. Right. A, a trade in our favour. So David's at the uh, Adam's office talking about the five-year lease that he signed without reading. Adam spotted a clause that says David can be evicted so long as Ray provides alternate accommodation. Sally still finds it dodgy, but Adam reckons the letters could have been drafted in advance, and David reckons that he's fucked. So back at number eight, David is explaining this to Nick, and they're back and forth about who gets Gale once David is evicted, and David thinks it's Golden Ball's turn. Nick, though, has a lot in the air at the moment at Natasha's, what with Sam and everything. David has right. resigned that Gail will be left with him and then he asks yeah. for some privacy and then he heads upstairs. <laughs> Have a wake. <laughs> Thank you for completing that paragraph for me. This is a, so every time he goes so upstairs much, now. We get so much Gail humour this week. Without it's great. Gail really been in it that much. Right, yeah. You know, but David's right. It is it is Nick or Sarah's turn, although Sarah's still kind of living with David, although she's going to be moving in 
back in with uh, Adam. Right. So she's all set. It's just David and the rest of the family. They should all move in with Sarah and Adam. That's what should happen. <laughs> the David's next... been, David. You know, David's been carrying everybody for years. It's it's time for somebody else to carry David. I don't know where they'd really find a eight bedroom house at such short notice. Yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult. Yes. So Nick gives him the privacy that he's looking for and goes to see Ray and suddenly wants that deal that Ray offered last week. You can fucking whistle for it, says Ray. Find your own warehouse. Then Ray goes off to his hotel to meet the Madam Chairperson of the committee, Mrs Phoebe Buffet, for a few drinks and probably his hole. And meanwhile, the Rebel Alliance are turning on each other in the pub while Emma practices her conversational Spanish. It's very wearing, says Sally. <laughs> Poor Emma. <laughs> Emma thinks... And then Brian speaks, you know, quite fluent Spanish, and Emma is confused. Right, because... All she's really been able to do is greetings and family, I think. Yes. Emma thinks it might be time to move on if she loses her flat and uh, get another job in the salon as well. So, Brian, as you said, orders un paquet de patatas fritas, queso e caboya? A cheese and onion. Mm -hmm. And someone somewhere is getting a backhander, says Sally. Abby calls for unity against Ray. It's time to fight back. So on Wednesday at the garage, uh, Tyrone is furious, furious that Kev sold the garage months ago and now he suspects it'll have to go their separate ways. Kev yeah. seems to agree that they'll at least have to move out and find new premises. Abby calls them both lightweights and goes off to do something about it all. What's funny is that the reason why Emma's trying to learn Spanish is because she's thinking that she might go and move in with her uncle Andy, who she's never met before right. and has never met her. Right. But and nobody really speaks of salons in in spain apparently right or something it's very well connected that way yeah yeah it was just it was just nice to get a name check for andy we haven't had one of those in a while mm -hmm. since liz was on the phone with him that one time right yeah remember that time that liz was on a plane from the 1980s <laughs> i missed that they, they haven't brought liz back to get rid of her again yet no no they haven't i don't know i don't know what's going on there I thought that would have been done by now. Yeah. Oh well. oh, well. So, Abby speaks to Roy and Roy's role, who points out that the fight isn't over just yet. There are still certain requirements that have to be satisfied before the granted permission can be issued. No building work can take place until the 106 application about their concerns has been satisfied or something. I wasn't really paying attention. Abby pretends to understand all of this. They have six weeks. Roy thinks they need to broadcast all of this somehow to the Rebel Alliance. And Abby has an idea. Mm-hmm. And then Seb and Alina are back. Yes. Somehow. <laughs> They're moping about having to move and are about to go into Dev's when Tyrone warns, warns them off, calling Dev a backstabbing prick on Ray Weinstein's side. And it's unclear right. if Seb and Alina know what he's talking about or pay attention to it. Yeah. Then Gail and Sally in a hat are chatting about Hale Barnes and its Chichi restaurants. Roy encourages them to join in their anti-Ray forum and then Abby comes round the corner in a massive 4 by 4 that's dragging a trailer playing Fortunate Son for some reason. <laughs> and Abby that's a protest song. Is it? Yeah. It's, it's a protest song about the Vietnam War. Oh, I didn't know that. It ain't me. It ain't me. Uh-huh. Ain't no governor's son. Oh, I didn't know that that's... I, I couldn't have sang that. I, I would have known so, the 
it ain't me, it ain't me, and then I've just had to mumble the rest of it. Some, some, some men are born to raise a flag. Yeah, they're red, white, and blue. No. No. Nothing. You just, you nah. just know the tune. I know, I know probably one eighth of the chorus. I think that's it. <laughs> Do you know who sings it? Oh, it's uh, uh, the revival people. Yes, Creedence Clearwater Revival. That's it. The revival so people. You got one word. <laughs> revival. I, could, I was going to say Clarence Clemens, and that's, I don't know what that is, but it's something else. Is it, that's the sax player from the E Street Band, I think, isn't it? Maybe. Who's dead? Is that the one member of the E Street Band who's dead? I don't know if it's the only member of the E Street Band that's dead, but yeah, the sax player died. The big man, the big man yeah. died a few years ago. Yeah. Yes, he's that, not getting a revival. Not now, not, not after that, they buried him. That, that tends to happen. Yeah. Like uh, on on New Year's on New Year's uh, Eve. Well, actually, it was New Year's Day at that point when they were playing um, that version of uh, "What a Wonderful World" by that um, Hawaiian singer. The kids were shocked that he was dead, and I was like, "Guys, he died like ten years before you were born." Right. Plus, a look at him. <laughs> of course, he's dead. <laughs> It's not very That's, charitable, but no, it's not. But it, but that that was one of the things that led to his death right. was that he was like over three hundred pounds. Yep. So, and but anyway, so Abby hops yeah. on the bed of the trailer with a toy wee bullhorn that she's found from somewhere. She encourages other residents to join the Rebel yeah, Alliance. It was a really small blowhorn. It was a toy was like, one. Why is it so small? Couldn't because... you have got a big one? <laughs> That's what she said. Mm -hmm. And to save the street and sh shove the development plans up Ray Weinstein's arse. Right. right. Up his arse. Roy worries <laughs> that this <laughs> an 800 mile difference of uh, yeah. right up his arse. Roy yeah. worries that this isn't exactly effective protesting. Then Sally Naha isn't convinced, but Gail doesn't turn down a chance to shout insults at sex bests. She's in. And with Gail being in, others join in too. So mm -hmm. they drive about and Abby is rabble-rousing while Roy is explaining the process of the Section 106 negotiation through his own reasonably-sized bullhorn. Abby gives <laughs> it tight to Dev too. Then Ray comes out of the bistro and isn't exactly quaking in his boots. He thought Pride, got, he thought Pride got cancelled. Or is this Ray Pride? Yikes, right. that doesn't sound Yikes. too great when you read it out. No. Ray, rape Pride? Yeah, 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 I'm... I'm Surprised he didn't catch on with that. And yet, you know, he says this while not a single homosexual member of the street is on that slope. Right. Right. And, uh, but they do have a, a dummy of, of Ray on there wearing a mask. Yes, that was funny. <laughs> that was funny. I wonder if it was the same mask with that Barney the Rabbit was wearing a, a few weeks ago. <laughs> so, um... <coughs> So Abby starts a chant about Ray being a pedo or whatever, and he gets on his phone while Roy tries to calm the situation. David tries to sneak Gail away because he's promised to kind of cool it with Ray right, yeah. so that Shona stays out of, out of trouble. But right. she's enjoying herself far too much. And then PC Tinker appears and tries to get the Rebel Alliance to disperse, but they have the right to assemble in free speech. He tells them they need council approval to play music in public. 
Abby tries to tell PC Tinker about Ray bribing council officials, but all PC Tinker wants is that fucking music shut off and forever want to go home. And then he wants the toty bullhorn off Abby. And the royal Abby throws it at him and it hits him in the boob and Craig reacts like he's been <laughs> shot and Abby gets arrested for assault. Right, by the other, yeah. So this is why this is why the bullhorn is so small because they knew that she was going to have to throw it at him and they right. didn't want something big that was going to injure him and put him out of the show for a few weeks. Right. Like that time that he tripped on something and turned his ankle while he was jogging. That's still causing him problems, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> See? See, this is why you shouldn't exercise. <laughs> it, it will kill you. But the bullhorn is so small that I know. It's smaller than one hand. I know, and yet he falls to the ground as if he's been shot. The only reason there's any weight in it at all is there's there's like one double A battery in it. (laughs) That's the only reason it has any weight. Yeah, I mean, the way she threw it, it wouldn't have hit him at all if it had been a big heavy one. It would have have landed like in front of him. I expected it to hit him in the face. Or, or, or something. <laughs> but, it, but it hit his boob and he's like, oh! Back I'm into hit. the left. I'm hit. <laughs> Pray for me. <coughs> so, Tyrone. I see, a, I see a bright light. <laughs> Come to the light, That's PC Tinker. <laughs> right. That's the light reflecting off the tiny little bullhorn. So, Tyrone <laughs> tells Kev about Abby. Kev calls the totally wee bullhorn and megaphone, which is hilarious. Megaphone. Yeah. Debbie comes along to rub it in again. No matter what you think of me, she says, at least I'm not the one bind up again. But Abby's got out on a caution thanks to PC Tinker giving her a good word or whatever and goes to tell Roy, who does not give a solitary fuck. She's incapable yeah. of listening to him, so what difference does it make, he says. She's diminished the cause with her vendetta. And Abby apologises. She was only doing what she thought was right. But you've made things worse, says Roy. Has she? Has she? Has she really made things worse? Well, when the mob turns violent. (laughs) Violent. (laughs) When the mob starts throwing miniaturised things. (laughs) Like a a, a small pipe at a police officer. It really hasn't changed. It really hasn't changed anything, you know, at all. It hasn't. People on the street are still mad at Ray. Mm Mm-hmm. Ray Ray hasn't, you know, been caught up in any of this, but, you know, it's not like she broke a window and stole his podium. <laughs> right. And then waved wearing... at the camera. <laughs> Hiya. Hiya. <laughs> oh, nobody was wearing, like, a, a buffalo skull cap. No, the guy with the podium, though, it was uh, that J.T. Miller guy, wasn't it? Was it J.T. Miller? T.J. T.J. Miller. T.J. Miller. T.J. Miller. That's who it looked like. (laughs) And he's, hiya, looked definitely like he's just about to to shout uh, insults at at Jing Yang now. (laughs) Dearie me. Now we're making... Silicon Valley references. Silicon Valley references. That nobody is going to get. JT Miller, TJ Miller, yeah, that's what I mean. TJ Miller, TJ Miller, TJ Max. <laughs> so, Tim, Sally, and Faye are walking back from the cop as David is having problems unlocking his front door. 
Faye explains that she saw some guys changing the lock earlier, which doesn't really make any sense. But Ray, Fleming Weinstein is going to be behind us, says David, and let's just see about this. So he goes round to the bistro to have it out with Ray. Ray thinks the maintenance team got their dates mixed up and he'll drop off the new keys as soon as possible. Plus, their new home will be available for uh, viewing tomorrow. Then Ray tells Tim, who is there to expedite the plot, that the Hale Barnes development has been put on the back burner for a couple of years, so he and Sally will soon be homeless. Bye! Right, yeah. And also, why would he have the locks changed on David's house anyway, if he's just going to knock it down? Wouldn't that be... Why would you pay to have locks changed? Why is he putting money into changing the locks to irritate David? But he's just going to knock the whole building down. It doesn't make any sense. Except to be a wind-up. Timbot4000 says this does not compute. That is correct, Timbot4000. Right. Yeah, so you're I right. Kind it, of here there. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. He just likes to wind people up because he's an asshole. Right, because he said that oh, they were due for replacement. But right. yeah, if they're due for replacement on Tuesday, but you're going to pull the place down on Wednesday, then maybe just let this one slide. Right. Meanwhile, Tyrone is in the Rovers and gets served by Johnny, who, in a different storyline, has already declared himself legally blind. He sits with Alina, who's looking for a new flat in the paper. She's stressed out because of that time she was human trafficked. Then Tyrone, perhaps out of sympathy, offers her a place to stay at his. Yeah. That was weird. weird. Yeah. Because do they have a relationship? No, I didn't think so. Are they friends? I don't think they've spoken to each other. Have they ever had a conversation together in their entire lives? I didn't think so, but there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on this week. Because, you know, he's acting like, you know, they're practically family. It was weird. Right. It was really weird. She's creepy. She's just had interaction with Seb and Eileen and then people in the factory. But we haven't right. really seen very much of the interactions in the in the factory. Right, because they have to limit how many people are in the factory at one time. But if she's talking to like Sally, well that's fair enough. Right. Sally knows who she is. Or right, maybe it's through because... Fizz. It's maybe through Fizz. No, because Fizz doesn't work at the factory anymore. Doesn't she? She works for Gary. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Is that your alarm What's or my alarm? What's the time for? That's your alarm. I don't know where that's coming from. Oh, there it is. <laughs> that's nine o'clock. <laughs> I was sure that was yours. That's nine o'clock for me. Eight o'clock for me. Still in a bathtub. So, so yeah, so there's no reason for Ty to do this. And he felt like he was doing it to fill a silence that she'd let this right. kind of hang and then didn't say anything right. that she's you know she's having all this this problem and it reminds her of living with strangers and all that kind of thing and then she just lets right. that hang and then he jumps and says well come and stay at mine then because you me having to explain this to Fizz is worse than having an uncomfortable silence in a pub with somebody that I don't know Right, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, you know, because he says something about, well, I'm not a stranger, you can stay at mine. And it's like, but aren't you kind of a stranger? <laughs> right. <laughs> How often do you guys interact? This doesn't make any sense. Anyway, so back at home, Tim, Sally and Abby are talking about how they're losing their old house and then the new house as well. And Faith thinks this is her fault, but no one listens to her. Abby thinks the situation cannot be impossible. Surely someone out there can stop Ray Weinstein. And the camera lingers on Faye, who, for now, keeps her mouth shut. Yeah. Then on Friday, just and Tim a- asked her to go get, her, go get him a beer. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> it's 
like she's about ready to to confess the whole thing. Well, somebody somebody must know something. Oh, Faye Love, can you give me a beer? Go give me some beer. <laughs> So Abby catches up with David and Devs. Oh, this is on Friday. She's not a customer. She's quick to point out. He seems to be operating a one customer in, one customer out at a time rule. Let's see how long that lasts. And they talk right. about David being forced to move and Dev pipes up and support Ray, although he lets it slip about Ray's unsuccessful attempt to bribe one of the planning guys. And this seems to give Abby the resolve to keep digging. And then she announces that she's off to the copy. Later, David had shown to get home and she is not in a good mood. She's inconsolable. No. Then Nick, who's there because David needs someone ob uh, oblivious to the situation to talk to about it, uh, he asks what's going on. And David says that the alternate accommodation is on a rough estate where David is known for pushing teenagers off their bikes. Is it that or is it the estate that, that Shona used to grew up in? Because I think it's the same says, estate. Because she says, you know, I can't go back there. I right. can't go back there. They're going to kill me if I go back there. I think when they talk about the estate, they're always talking about the same estate. The, the, the okay. one rough part of town that's there for... <clears throat> because, because she's like... Generate you know, villains. I can't, go, I can't go back there because of, you know, the fact that she stitched up her son. Right. I think. Yeah. Which, how does she know that? Because she has brain damage. So David goes to see Ray at the bistro who basically tells him to suck it up. If he doesn't like the new house, find somewhere else, but he's still going to have to pay rent on it. And David calls him Which a crook. Which doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, he did. He signed a lease saying that he's going to... This is the thing that's complicated about this, because he signed a lease for his own house and agreed to lease it for five years. But if the house is getting knocked down, new locks notwithstanding, then he gets alternative accommodation, but he still has to pay rent on that new accommodation to the same value that he paid for his old house. It seemed right, yeah, it should be an equivalent accommodation. And I don't think a uh, place on the janky estate is an equivalent accommodation. Right. It sounds like there's a, a, a legal way out of this that was Adam didn't really right. spot. So. so David calls him a crook and Ray warns him that unless he plays along, things could turn very nasty for him and his family. And that's mm -hmm. as far as we get with that this week. So Ray is definitely riling up as many people as he can. Absolutely. Creating many an enemy. And if we hadn't yes. just had a whodunit plot, I would have said this is prime fodder for a new whodunit plot for somebody who's going to do yeah. in Ray. Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe maybe Faye will be successful this time. <laughs> I would like her to be a baddie. I don't know why. I just I think it would, I think it would bring me joy. So yeah, so this did feel like we'd got somewhere where the um the demolition is a little bit more imminent. What what have they got? They've got two weeks notice. Mm -hmm. So what does that take us to? That takes us to oh, still January, towards the end of January then, where this is where everyone has to be moved out, sort of thing. So this right. has to kinda of come to a kind of conclusion fairly quickly I would have thought because they're not going to knock down the houses I don't know no. if anybody really does think that this is a possibility this is right. this is one of these kind of worst kinds of um, cliffhanger type uh, type stories where you know unless they really are going to go balls deep on this and tear down half the street right you'd think there's no chance of that happening 
No, no, absolutely not. Because it would change the whole dynamic of the show. Right. Half the people would leave. Some of whom have already, you know, very publicly signed new contracts. So, yeah, it's one of those storylines that it's missing a lot of tension because you know it's not going to happen. But it's just trying to figure out how they're going to stop it. That is the tension. It's but like, you know it's going to be something. It's like the idea of, well, nobody's going to kill Ned Stark in season one of Game of Thrones. That's never going to happen. Right. Holy shit, they just killed Ned Stark in Game of Thrones in season one. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess it's king. It's, there's a very, 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 very infantis, infant, infinitesimal uh-huh. chance that this is going to happen. A very tiny chance yeah. that this is going to happen, but they haven't they haven't uh, hired George R. R. Martin to write these scripts. <laughs> no. It's fine. It's fine. Our next storyline today: all ab- all aboard Arthur! Exclamation point. Yes. On, on Monday, Evelyn is minding her own business by reading a book while at work. While Dave describes how Asha now hates him, and then he threatens to tell <laughs> the burnt samosa story. Evelyn, with a sigh, finishes her book <laughs> and remarks on a strange choice at the end. And then Dev sulks, so Evelyn asks him to tell the burnt samosa story, which we don't get to hear. No. I know. I, I was I was disappointed in that too. I want to hear this. <laughs> Forget the rest of it. Just tell us what this burnt samosa story was all about. Because Dev went full Indian as he was beginning to tell it. Right. And then we, and we don't hear. So this is the <laughs> this is the metaphor that we were looking for last week. In this book. Right. Yes. I kind of figured it out after 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 we finished recording when I stopped to think about it and read the um plot of the of the book. I was like, Oh, okay, yeah, love triangle, blah blah blah. Yeah, okay. I kind of understand why he gave her that book, you know. But then he explains it fully in a in a in the next story, in the next uh, scene, right? Well soon, yeah. Yeah. So later Evelyn goes into Royal Rolls and Arthur's already there. There's a bit of awkwardness between them and Evelyn insists that she wants to be on her own, like Greta Garbo never said apparently. So rather than yes. explain why he suddenly reappeared into her life, Arthur leaves. And later it seems that if Evelyn wandered into the Rover's ladies, Arthur would be there because next she bumps into <laughs> him coming out the florist with a bunch of blooms and she gets stuck yeah. into him. She doesn't want flowers or romantic gestures from him and she storms off. But what she doesn't see is that next to Arthur is standing the Undertaker, which is weird yes. given that he's six foot ten and three hundred and nine pounds. <laughs> and he has his own theme music that plays whenever he enters the room. That's all he hears is constantly that theme tune playing. <laughs> it's like the Queen thinking that the world smells of paint because six feet in front of her there's someone always painting a railing or whatever. <laughs> and later, Evelyn is in the rovers when the Undertaker comes in in a mood and explains about Arthur burying his wife today and she gave him a mouthful of abuse that he didn't deserve. Arthur was all on his own, says the undertaker. And then he pelled drives Then he pelled drives Evelyn through a table. And then throws a chair at her. <laughs> and Jerry Lola on the, on the side just loses his shit. Evelyn goes back into Roy's roles accusing Roy of knowing about the funeral and saying nothing. He's supposed to be her friend. It was nothing to do with me, says Roy, and Arthur's supposed to be your friend, and he could use some friendship today. Well done, Roy. 
So finally, yeah. well, he... you're his friend too, Roy. Why aren't you? You know, and you knew about this. So why aren't you supporting him, Roy? If that is your real name. <laughs> so finally, Evelyn and Arthur meet up at her place. He tells her, "Don't stop me now." Was the music that played as Beryl went through the curtain at the crematorium. <laughs> okay, then says Evelyn, and Arthur goes <laughs> off to get some booze after the day that he's had. And when he gets back, they talk about the age of innocence. Arthur calls it tragic. The guy loses the love of his life and then bottles the second chance. There's your metaphor. Evelyn wants yeah. to know why Arthur never told her about Beryl. And he doesn't really answer and instead reveals that his plan is to go back to Canada. And as with all things like this, he's leaving tomorrow. Right. And he wants her to go with. All she yeah. needs is a passport. Meet me at the tram stop tomorrow at three, he says. And then he leaves. With a passport and a smile. So. <laughs> yeah, all you need to emigrate to Canada is your passport. Yep. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, I, I don't know. It's the, and he said something, he, he does say something about the dogs, that the dogs would be, well, you t- know, the Tyrone can take care of the dog until. Until it, they get settled. Right. And, they, and then the dog goes through quarantine and everything. Mm-hmm. Like she could be separated from Cerberus for that long. But it's the idea that he turns up after, what? Right. A couple of months or something? Maybe a month. Right. He appears last week, gives her a book. They talk really properly for the first time uh, on on Monday. Right. Where she finds out about Beryl and all that. He then says to her, move to Canada with me. If you're game, right. meet me at the tram stop tomorrow. Right. And then you leave because there's nothing more to talk about. Right. <laughs> I've, and I've he's made the offer. Just, and he's just buried his wife. Right. It, she's not even... Her ashes haven't even cooled. <laughs> and he's already asking this other woman to move to Canada with him. What What? What has he done with Beryl's ashes? That's what I want to know. Is he taking those with him too? Who knows? Because he, because he doesn't tell us anything. Right, yeah. It's like, oh, well, she's dead now, so now we can move on. No, no. This is, this is horrible. It's horrible, and it's, I don't know. Timbot4000 says this does not compute. It doesn't compute. It really, it's kind of well, like... Well, it does compute, but... It, but Yeah, because, I mean, isn't this, isn't this the plot of, like, every romantic story? You know, isn't this like a... Um, Sleepless in Seattle. I've never seen it. Maybe on top of the Empire State Building at such and such a time on such and such a day. You know, even though we've never really met in public, you know, face to face before. And have only been exchanging these letters because it's the 1980s and the internet hasn't been invented yet. The 1980s. But it's a, it's a leap of faith that you think someone could probably make traveling. Right. I don't know. I've never seen the movie. So I'm assuming that they live in Seattle. Or one of them lives in Seattle and has to meet yes. the other one at the Empire State Building in New York. So it's a right. three thousand mile trip where it, if it doesn't work out, you go oh well, and then you you, you go home. This is moving, I mean to be fair. This is moving to Canada. Right. To to be fair, I mean you did move to America for me. It took more than one conversation and twenty four <laughs> hours notice though. That's true. It wasn't like, well, meet me in Connecticut tomorrow. <laughs> I was like, what? Because if it had been that, I might not have done it. Yeah. 
So on Wednesday, in the morning, Evelyn is in Roy's roles. Despite the ridiculous constraints on Arthur's offer, it seems that Evelyn is at least contemplating it in the snippy at Roy into the bargain. So she goes home and starts packing, and when Tyrone asks her what she's doing, she says that she's thinking about going to live in Canada, and he kind of laughs and then goes, oh, you've been serious? She hasn't yeah. made up her mind, but she wants to have a case ready just in case <laughs> she does. Tyrone right. takes this new information on board rather quickly and thinks that she has to do what's right and what's going to make her happy. Don't let us right. stop you from doing that. Right, but he, yeah, but he's also obviously sad at the idea of her leaving. Right. Which is sweet. So Arthur's waiting at the tram stop and he's thrilled to see Evelyn but disappointed to see that she hasn't packed. Right. So not only are you moving to Canada with 24 hours notice, you're allowed to bring one suitcase with you and one what? Overnight bag. One overnight bag, one purse and that's it. Yep. She, she hasn't uh, decided to move to another continent in the last 24 hours. He no. asked her what made up her mind other than the ridiculous time constraints and she said it was Tyrone. He told her to be happy, which for her means staying in this godforsaken place with her dog. So Arthur okay. fucks off and gets the 3pm tram direct service from Weatherfield North to Canada, Biffy service <laughs> in the rear. <laughs> All aboard! <laughs> Tyrone is quite happy to see that Evelyn hasn't left and says Arthur will get over it. Evelyn isn't yeah. so sure that she's that forgettable. <laughs> Tyrone tries to say how much she means to him and the family, but he can't get it out, so to speak. And Evelyn tells him to make like a pair of curtains and pull himself together. So to close the narrative off, Evelyn goes to see Roy, apologises for being snippy earlier, and offers a place for him to join her on a walk. And he agrees yes. and then bores the tits off her with a story about donkey jackets. <laughs> Because she said not to talk about trains. Right. So we have to talk about something else boring. So this this gives me hope that Eva Roy is still going to be a thing. Well, the fact that Eva she goes Roy. to Roy... Eva Roy. <laughs> the fact that she goes to see Roy immediately. Yeah. Well, she yeah. sees Tyrone that she had to see, and then she goes to Roy. That's the first person outside her family that she goes to see afterwards. To apologise yeah, for something. To take a walk with him. Yeah, she's apologising for something that she didn't need to apologise for. He's not looking for an apology there. No. But she wants to see him. And then right. you go. And away. then she wants to take a walk <clears throat> for him with him. Right. Yeah. Bring Woody. No. Um, <laughs> it does kind of suggest that at, at the very least, there's a very special friendship there. Right. But I'm kind of disappointed he, that that's Arthur out of it. And and he drops he drops them up immediately. You know, because he's, he's busy cleaning up Roy's rolls. And she says, put that mop down and take a walk with me. And he does it. Right. So, yes, yeah. he enjoys her company as well. Yeah, it doesn't. This is good. Doesn't wait to get asked twice. No. But Arthur, this though. This is good. <laughs> Arthur, though. Eh, scrum. <laughs> he fooled around on his, on, his, on his sick and dying wife. And then she wasn't even, she wasn't even cold yet. And... Is offering, you know, is asking another woman to fuck off to Canada with him. Yeah, the ashes were still smouldering a little bit, I think. Yeah. But yeah. this had such promise. I really enjoyed the two of them. I liked him as a character. I liked the fact that he got on with Roy, who, as far as you're concerned, is the other potential love interest. That the two yes. of them had a little bromance thing going on. Yeah. Separately of, within nice the triangle. Too. Yeah. So it was like. Because Roy needs more friends his own age. Yeah. You know, 
So, and he needs more man friends. All of his friends are women. So that's why I'm kind of disappointed that yeah that Arthur came back and then went to Canada. Because he <laughs> and Ken Trump, aren't really apparently. friends. And Ken is the only person his age, really. Except for, well, yeah. Ken is really the only person close in age to Roy, and they're not friends. All the men on the street, I think, treat Roy like he's a weirdo. Right. Whereas all the women love him. Right. Because he is very lovable. Did you know I Guy- don't know. Was, wasn't it Daniel who said he was the most moral person on the street, though? Wasn't that Daniel? I can't remember. It was that's, a man. That, that sounds vaguely familiar and something that... Yeah. Let, let me check the records for boring moment of the week to see if... <laughs> Stop. To see if that... No, because, like, his closest relationships are Nina, Carla... Mm-hmm. Yep. Shona. Kathy? Mm-hmm. Evelyn. Evelyn. He has yeah. a, he has a, I don't really see very much with him and Alex even, whenever yeah, Alex is in it. we haven't seen Alex in so long. No. But yeah, the, the, the male uh, characters do seem to keep him at arm's length a little bit right. more. And even he's... Abby, even Abby is kind of Roy's friend now, sort of, or she wants to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she yeah. Said she seemed really upset that he was angry at her. Upset at her, yeah. God, that, that's a power that Roy has against m- more than one character. Nobody yeah. wants nobody wants to have Roy upset at them. Yeah, nobody wants to disappoint Roy because Roy is the most moral character on the show. Nice. Which is funny because that's not how he was written initially. No, he was a he was a creep. Yeah, and now he's not. Our next storyline today, Gracelands. Ugh. Grace. Throw this whole shite out. Yeah, no. (laughs) You know, can we please give the Bailey family a storyline that's not shite? Please. I hate this. This gets several thousand marks out of ten, though, for the abruptness at which the storyline started. Right. Because on Monday, Michael leaves the house and Grace is just standing there. Standing there. <laughs> it's like she's even more creepy than she was before. It's like, all right, now that we know she's a creepy weirdo who pretends that one child is her child when it's not her child. She's just now standing we're just gonna there. Let her freak, we're, we're just going to let her freak flag fly and she's just going to be weird all the time. And then she doubles down on it by soon as she's just going to prison. So you open your yeah. door. There's somebody standing there. <laughs> I'm just, I just out, of out of prison. Hiya. <laughs> she says she's selling dusters, but she's not really selling dusters. No. She wanted to say hello. He's unimpressed, and she twigs that Ed and Aggie don't know that she's pregnant. He takes her inside and seems to revert back to the Michael from October, November last year, where he frequently says that he doesn't know how he can trust anything that she says. His heart right. believes her uh, regarding the, the fact that the baby's his. So he, his heart believes, but his heart, his head doesn't. Grace tells right. him to go with his heart. It's never been wrong. Um, Apart from that one time with the yeah. whole Tiana thing. Right. When it turned out to be very wrong. Yes. So based on Michael's reaction, Grace agrees to a paternity test, which I didn't think you could get until the baby was born. No, you can do a paternity test. If Jerry Springer has taught me nothing else. It, it's, um, you know, it's it's more invasive, obviously. 
but you, you have to get some of the amniotic fluid, I believe, because that will have some of the baby's DNA in it. Huh. Then James comes. Then James comes home, so Grace is quickly ushered out the back. Right, but not like that. But not the yeah. So the clinic or whatever, <laughs> Michael wants the results sent direct to him, and he wants them fast tracked, even though it's over a grand. He'll just stick it on his credit card. And I wondered if this this was the start of another issues based storyline of putting expedited paternity tests on credit. <laughs> On Wednesday, Michael is overly keen on knowing if he had any mail delivered and Aggie doesn't seem fussed, uh, but James is very suspicious by this question. Mm-hmm. No. And la- and Aggie just wants him to pay the bills. Right. Then later, Grace turns up on Michael's door again. She forgot to mention that it's her 20-week scan today, but Michael doesn't want to go until he's sure the jizz that was fired up Grace's hoo-ha came from his bobby. Grace understands this reasonable reservation. And then a bit later, he gets the envelope that he's been waiting for. And he turns up outside the hospital and sees Grace sitting on the bench. The baby isn't it weird that he got that envelope the same day that the mail's already come and it wasn't there. See, I remember there being a second service in the UK, but I don't know if it was a thing when I left that you'd get your yeah. morning mail and then you'd get the afternoon mail. But mm. I don't know if that was still a thing or not. Anyway, or maybe Ray delivered anyway. it. Maybe Ray just popped it through the mailbox. <laughs> So he sees Grace, the baby is his. She has a recording of the baby's heartbeat on their phone, which uh, they both find incredible. Signs, eh? And they walk mm-hmm. back to the street chatting loudly about their child when Aggie comes round the corner. What did you yeah, just they're say? Od- they're oddly, like, amazed by this technology that has existed for, like, 50 years now, listening to the baby's heartbeat. Not on your phone, This though. isn't even, like... <laughs> that was my impression of the baby's heartbeat. That That was great. <laughs> It was really just me saying doof doof. (laughs) What did you say? And Michael has to explain to her. Aggie asks if Grace is on the run. That was hilarious. Grace gets. Yeah, that was funny. uh, Aggie hates her, but Aggie points out that actually, no, I don't hate you. You mean absolutely nothing to me. Apathy being the opposite of of hate. She got out of jail fairly quickly for. It was fraud. You know, essentially kidnapping a baby and fraud. Mm -hmm. That was fairly quick. (laughs) Right. She's not falling for this pregnant shite, but Michael shows her the paperwork. Oh, pig's tits, says Aggie, and she leaves him to it. And later on, on her own, Aggie is wistfully looking at the old photographs of Tiana. Later, Michael has prepared a really bad speech about having his kid and Grace in his life, with or without Aggie's blessing. Aggie was shocked today and will never forgive Grace, but agrees that he has to be a father to the kid. Nothing is more important than a grandchild, so that means Grace can have fuck all to do with it and she advises Mm. Michael to apply for custody. Michael fidgets as Aggie explains some home truths about Grace and her ability to raise a child. Right. Yeah. I I can see Aggie's point, but that's never going to fly, is it? No, no. No. So on Friday... No, he'd he'd have to have, like... He'd have to, you know, go to court and have her, you know, seen by a psychiatrist who would sign off on her being incompetent and that's going to be difficult to do even with this whole you know baby fraud thing that she's already pulled mm-hmm. you know if if uh um if we've learned anything from what's her name being allowed to be a foster mother toya toya yes thank you oh. so on friday michael has slept in it and decided not to apply for sole custody after all 
He wants his kid to have both parents in his life. It's really important to him. And he's also worried that if Grace finds out that he's applying for this, she'll do a runner again and then he'll never get to see the kid. Ed thinks that these are both great points despite Aggie's uh, glares and despite Aggie's extended routine of Grace's shortcomings. But Michael, Michael seems to have made up his mind. Later, he's having lunch with Grace, who has taken to life outside of prison very well, thank you very much. And he tells her that he wants to co-parent. She's thrilled by this, but doesn't want Aggie, but doesn't think Aggie will be happy about it. Michael thinks that she'll come round, and Grace wants to get all this sorted and suggests a powwow right now. That's a right now powwow. Mm. <laughs> and Grace says something to uh, Michael about him being scared of his mum. Yeah. I think Grace is scared of his mum as well. Right. Although and she stands up to her a little bit better than I, he does. Uh, and, you know, I think Michael is also a wee bit afraid of Grace because she's crazy. <laughs> right. So they go to see Aggie. Grace says that she knows family is important to Aggie. Well, this baby is going to be her family. Grace wants to be a great mum with Michael by her side. Aggie explains that all she sees in Grace is danger. Grace promises that she's changed and wants a chance to prove it. Michael begs for Aggie's support, which Aggie eventually gives, telling Grace if she's a member of this family, then she has to start acting like it, which means disappearing for months on end and never having a decent storyline of her own. That's as far as we get with that. Which which seems to have worked thus far. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, or, you know, not showing up at all, because let's remember, the Baileys also have a daughter who still hasn't shown up. Dee Dee. Yes, Didi. We still haven't met her. I don't know if we're ever going to meet her. I, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but is she just going to be the Meris of this family? <laughs> For she's only ever or referred the Uncle to. Andy. Right, she's, she's only the ever Uncle referred Andy. to. You never see her. <laughs> or she's always going to come. Right, yeah. Or she's always just left when we get there. Right. Or she's just on the phone and you only hear one side of the conversation. Because mm-hmm. this has been more yeah. than a year. Where she's been mentioned yeah. and, and never appeared, isn't she? Right, isn't she in our neck of the woods? Isn't she over here in America? Mm-hmm. America. She might be. That's what America. I thought. Are yep. you Team Aggie or Team uh, Grace on this? I, I think I know the answer to it. I'm absolutely not Team Grace. Right. I don't know if I'm Team Aggie either, though. I think. Is this everybody you know, sits here? I think it may be an everybody sucks here or or no assholes here, you know. I think it may be an NAH more than an ESH because, <laughs> you know, I can see Aggie's point, but I think, you know, trying to push, because she did the same thing with the whole Tiana thing, you know, which if Michael had followed that advice, it would have come out much sooner that Tiana wasn't wasn't his and wasn't Grace's. If right. he had got if he had gotten a lawyer from the very beginning, we wouldn't have had that storyline. So her advice is sound, but I don't think it's what Michael wants to hear right now. I think he just he wants his mom to be supportive of his choices. And I think her saying, No, you have to do this and the way that she's doing it uh-huh. is just gonna make him double down on doing the exact opposite. Yeah, I agree. I think her her approach is off, you know. But this does set up a kind of ongoing conflict between the two of them that might bring some entertainment, I guess. Because they're never yeah. going to go on, because they're far too different. And despite Aggie's words, she's just never going to trust Grace again. No, and nor no. should she. No, no, nor should she. 
Do you think Grace is actually going to have this baby? Uh, at this point, yeah. Um, Do you think it's going to be like a Maria situation? No. No, because Maria wasn't even really showing, whereas Grace is actually showing. She's starting to show now, yep. Very quickly. Right. I, th I think time-wise, well, it's 20 weeks. Yeah. She had the scan 20 weeks, so she, she's halfway there. So this is, Whoa! we're looking for a... <laughs> Living on a prayer. <laughs> we're looking for an, an April birth here. Yeah. A springtime well. baby. Springtime. Okay. Moving on. Our next story is, I've enjoyed this one for wrong reasons, I think. Johnny mm -hmm. on the inside. <laughs> on Wednesday, Johnny is still worried about his sentencing tomorrow. This is his last day of freedom. And Jenny tells him to enjoy it then. In comes Carla and Johnny immediately leaves. Jenny has yeah. her hopes on Squinting a... all the way. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why he leaves in a eyes. hurry. Why does he leave in a hurry? Just so that I don't Carla know. doesn't realise Because he just doesn't want to... Yeah. He doesn't want, you know, he doesn't want to hear the two of them bickering over him. Right. Jenny has her hopes on a suspended sentence, but Carla points out that Johnny really wants punished and wants to get sent down proper for it. Right. Carla, for a crime that happened 40 years ago. Yep. Carla catches up with Johnny again. Who basically, Are there no statutes of limitations in the UK? Not when it comes to hitting security guards with cars. Right. But not injuring them enough to kill them. Right. Forcing security Just guards down a life of alcoholism. Yeah, that's there's no statutes of limitation on that, I don't think. But, I'd, I'd have to check. Carla catches up with Johnny again, who basically confirms Carla's suspicions. He wants sent down. Carla tells him not to push Jenny away. Then in comes Jenny. She's written Johnny a letter with her feelings. Ugh. She asks him to read it, but he can't because he's a bit blind at the minute. Jenny goes... <laughs> Jenny goes to run this by Imran, the fact that uh, Johnny has uh, lost his sight not anything to do with the letter but it doesn't make any right. difference he'll still be in court on the morrow apparently Imran has said yes. so it's Friday and it's a day of the hearing and Jenny's doing some colouring in down comes Johnny whose blindness he says but not like that. has improved overnight but he's unable to pass her a yellow crayon I don't even know what that means no, not do I <laughs> that's why I just kept talking <laughs> Jenny wants to see what the MS nurse has to say about this and his attendance at court. And later, Carl and Jenny are discussing Johnny's eyes in the trial and the likelihood of a custodial sentence. And in comes Daisy from somewhere, who claims to have been mistaken for Kendall Jenner. Carla says that even Mary could be mistaken Why for Kendall Jenner. Why would you write about this? Was it Kendall Jenner? Yeah. It was one of the Jenners. Yeah, it was Kendall. Was it? But still, why would you brag? Why, why would this be something to brag about? Carla does okay. not like Daisy. No. I'm enjoying no. that because I'm not sure I like yes. Daisy either. Daisy's... No. Well, Daisy keeps slagging off Johnny and right. that's why Carla doesn't like her. Right. So the MS nurse has arrived and thinks that he might be having a relapse and can arrange for an appointment with a specialist in a couple of weeks. Jenny is outraged that nothing can happen sooner and this won't postpone the court appearance. In fact, the nurse goes as far to say that there is no reason why Johnny can't attend the court. Johnny seems fine with this and goes to get ready, suggesting that Jenny sticks to colouring in. <laughs> then Imran, not like that. Then, again, I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> then Imran comes... Well, I guess if you're... Yeah, okay. Then mm -hmm. Imran, Imran comes to get Johnny and he tries to make it clear to Jenny that in all likelihood, her husband is going to have chilli con carne without rice. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> 
Timbot4000 says, who eats chili con carne without rice? No, sorry, sorry, it was my mistake. I didn't mean to say that. I mean, it's going to go to prison, blind or not. Inman leaves and Jenny tells Johnny what was in the letter. She loves him. Belter. Uh Johnny goes off and then Jenny writes a spoken letter to God in the form of a prayer, asking that Johnny doesn't go to prison for running over Grant the security guard all those years ago. Thanks for making it to the end of another prayer. We will be back next week with more Jenny prayers. (laughs) (laughs) In court, Inman makes a plea that's about 65% as good as anything he said in defence of Yasmin. Johnny's pled guilty. He's lost a son. He runs a business. He has MS. Go easy on him. Right. John, the this ju- happened 40 years ago. Right. He didn't force a bottle in the guy's hands. Right. He's not the one who beat the crap out of the guy. Mm-hmm. He just drove a car. Badly. The judge, though, has woken up in a bit of a grump and sends Johnny down for eight months. Jenny cries and bawls and shouts that she'll visit as soon as she can, but Johnny, as he's been led away... Tells her not to bother. Jenny is is still crying, borderline hysterical when she gets back to the Rovers. Imran stays briefly to tell them that they were lucky that he only got eight months and that he did his best. And then he feels uncomfortable about Jenny crying, so he leaves. Then Daisy pops her head around the corner to say that eight months is just like a long holiday, but there's no consoling Jenny. Yeah, well, well, wearing... Uh, a polka dot sweater with stri- a striped skirt that bothered me so much. I didn't know. She's wearing two patterns. She's wearing two patterns. Two conflicting patterns. What would Leviticus have to say about that? <laughs> did Johnny, good, I assure you. Does Johnny really mean that uh, he didn't want to see her? Asks Jenny. And Carl insists not. But then Daisy sticks her head around the corner again to remind Jenny that not so long ago Johnny wanted a divorce. Daisy right. says Jenny needs family, and that's her, and she offers to move in. And between them, uh-huh. Carl and Jenny tell Daisy that she has her own life somewhere, and she should just stick to that, although Jenny thinks it's a kind offer. Daisy yeah. flashes a two-second smile food at Carla, and then goes back to throw a drunken dev out of the pub. Jenny thinks they might hire Daisy after all. Right. And then we see Johnny in prison in his cell with his loo roll and his toiletries, and he breaks the first rule of Shawshank by crying, but he manages, manages to pull himself together quite quickly. Yes. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Does he have his socks? I didn't Does see his socks. Does he have feet too? I don't think we saw his feet. Mm. And all the while I'm thinking, this is such a bullshit story about this yeah. stupid fucking Scott thing that happened. Right. And none 40 of this years is, ago! This whole thing from the summer with Scott being there and wanting to do this other job and Johnny getting pulled into it and falling over and not doing the job and playing the Pulp Fiction music and all that sort of stuff <laughs> has just culminated in this. If Johnny wanted to go, to leave the show for a wee while, th- this is how we're going to do it? Oh, uh, my God. It's I just... don't know. I don't. It's it's just, it's so. And, like, the the judge is like, well, I understand these things, but what you did was so horrible and heinous that I just cannot ignore it. Uh-huh. And it's like he clipped a guy with his car 40 years ago. Right. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's all he did. He clipped a guy with his car. He didn't steal the money. They got the guy who stole the money. He's already served his time for that. 
he didn't beat the guy up, which supposedly happened as well. And Scott did it. Although I, yeah, I guess after Johnny drove away, Scott beat the crap out of the guy. Johnny didn't do that. No. All he did was clip the guy with his car. I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear what the other lawyer was going to say about why Johnny should be sent down for this yeah. because it doesn't make sense. And I wanted to. It see. doesn't make sense. Hit Timbot's button. No. Hit, Tim, hit Timbot's button. Timbot four thousand says this does not compute. Fucking right, it does not compute. <laughs> I wanted uh, Grant, the security guard's mum, to be there as well to get right. to get the justice that she's been looking for for all these years. I know. She doesn't even get that satisfaction. It didn't happen. Oh, oh. my god! And, and considering that um, that Jenny ran over Liz with, I guess, more force and venom than than Johnny did with, with Grant, the security guard, forty years ago. Right. She didn't get sent down for eight months for that. <laughs> the guy who hit Daniel with his car. Who hit Daniel with his car? Oh, was that Kathy? Is he hit Daniel with his car? With her car? Kathy's. Who hit Daniel? Kathy's hit someone, and then Craig got reversed into it by someone, didn't he? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Defending Bethany. And then, oh well, the, the hit and run guy with Gary, I guess. Maybe that was Johnny that that hit Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The whole thing is just, it's just ridiculous. A, it's, just a, it's giving me some chuckles, but none of it really stands up to any kind of scrutiny. No, you cannot be sent down because somebody became an alcoholic after you clipped them with your car. Our penultimate storyline today. Asha's latest storyline, Devastation Pending. On <laughs> Friday. It's the day of their mock results. Do you know what mock results are? No. It's like the uh, preliminary exam that you have before your main exam. So they, they do it okay, like, so like a couple of months before to make sure so that it's kind of like a progress report it's, it would be kind of like a progress report in america yeah I, I think it probably has a little bit more weight to that um if you do really well in your prelims but you fuck up the main exam because you're so nervous about it you can appeal and based on your prelim results you, you may get bumped up a grade or two so it, it could turn up a, a pass to a, a fail to a pass if you do oh if you do really well in your prelims or mocks as they're called in england or according to somebody in the storyline, it could keep you out of college and from getting a good a good job five years down the line. Yeah. Apparently. So Addy is quite optimistic about his chances. Asha insists similar, but her nervousness is somehow interpreted by both of them, uh, both Addy and Dev as smugness. Dev thinks that she always passes everything and says that they're both clever in different ways, which Addy takes as an insult and a suggestion that Dev <laughs> thinks that he's failed, which I think he's got a point. Which which makes me think that maybe I shouldn't be saying that to Benny and Stelly quite so often. No, don't say that. <laughs> that they're that they're intelligent in two different ways. Right. I always thought that was a compliment. Yeah, I, I think. I guess not. You, you have to hear it from from their <laughs> point of view, I guess. And speed dial the two of them open the results. Addy goes first and is thrilled by the random numbers that he reads out. And next, it's Asha's turn. Her results are so bad that she doesn't read them out and instead goes to the toilet. Addy is right. surprised and because she said that the exams were easy. Right. And ITV Corey looks on smugly. Right. Yeah, he's While there. also eyeing up Kelly yeah, we'll from another storyline. Mm -hmm. That's like you're reading my paragraphs here. ITV yeah. Corey is there and says that she's been focusing on more physical skills recently. If you know what I mean. Oh, 
But still, ITV Corey can't help a few wee longing looks at Kelly the Chin, who's there in a different storyline. Asha and Addy head home to face the music slash praise from Dev. So in the shop, Dev is very happy with Addy and very proud of him. Asha's is a different story. What happened? Why didn't she say something to him? And he asks if Addy knew about this, which she says that he didn't. Right! Why is he blaming Addy for Asha's bad grades? It gets worse. That poor kid! It gets worse. After, I know! After pounding the kids with the importance of education for years, Dev suddenly changes his tune. She doesn't have to go to uni to be a success and she doesn't have to work in a kebab shop for the rest of her life. He seems to attempt to reward her with a takeaway, but she'd rather go see ITV Corey, so she leaves. And after she's gone, Dev says to, to Addy, how are we going to fix this? And Addy's like, what do I have to do with any of this? Right, where's, where's, where's my takeaway, Dad? <laughs> where's mine? It seems to think that Addy's responsible for this, or at least responsible for trying to fix it. Right. And Addy's like, well, look at my results like, again. A- yeah, hold on a second. I pulled my grades up. Aren't you proud of me? Because mm-hmm. that, that was whole it. thing with his, his soccer thing all over again, where he won, you know, where he got a trophy or something, and Dev didn't care because Asha wants to go on the pill. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that poor kid. Now, surely, he can't do right for doing. He can't do wrong for doing right, or right for doing wrong. No good deed goes whatever unpunished, or whatever. No, yeah, something like that. So there's a kid that is a prime candidate for for turning heel soon. The the weight of Dev's disappointment, no matter what he does, is, yeah. is surely going to be explosive <laughs> at some point in the very near future. Yes. How how many more times can Dev let his son down by uh, by comparing him to his sister, regardless of what his sister is doing, right, rightly or wrongly, right? He's the pro- he's the he's the he's the brother of the prodigal son, essentially. Right. You know. Right. He's there saying, "Wait a second, why are you killing the fatted calf for this?" For this asshole, when I've been here doing right all this time, what's going on here? I didn't know you could quote the Bible so perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't uh, know. I, I felt I really felt for Addy, and uh, I think it's it's also serving as a really good opportunity to get to know this new actor, even though he's been on the show for months. We, we haven't really seen a huge yeah. amount of him. They keep experimenting with his hair, which I find interesting. Right. Where, whereas, you know, every time we see ITV Corey, he seems to have less and less hair. Mm-hmm. He's going to be bald with he's, a punch, with a beer belly here next time we see him. He's I don't becoming know. more and more unattractive, and I don't know if that's on purpose to just make him more and more gross the longer this goes on. Yeah, it's almost like the makeup's been told to make him look like a baddie. Yeah. Whereas there was yeah. a, there was a few moments where it, he seemed to be redeemed after yeah. Asha had had her um, had had words. Yep, and, and and got her closure on the whole thing. That that seemed to um, change him, and he seemed uh, apologetic and genuinely so. But he's back to his old ways again, and I wonder if we were yes. going with this because th- th- this seems to have. Uh, the the makings of a star of another devastating Asha storyline, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm like, this poor kid. Why? Yeah, we've, we've... leave her alone. Leave her alone. 
we've had the skin lightning and we've had the um the the sex video getting bandied round about the school right. and all that sort of stuff. So we've had two fairly major negative storylines for Asha. We haven't had anything that's that's positive because the positive one has been has been usurped when she right when yes, she turned, because she got back with ITV Corey right which she should never have done it that should no. that should never have happened unless no. there is more there's more bad in her future which just doesn't seem uh, fair <laughs> yeah and those and uh, those uh, glances at at Kelly by right. ITV Corey that's got to mean something yeah. Especially considering what happens with Kelly in her own storyline. Which we shall talk about right now. This Yay! is our final storyline of the day. This Yay! is Leanne en France. Yes. On Wednesday, Leanne is on the sofa and the room's a bit of a mess. She gets a voicemail from Simon who asks how she is and explains what's happening with Peter and Ken going off to Scotland. Leanne phones the medical centre and asks to have a word with the fabulous Dr Gadas because it seems that everything's getting a little bit too much on top of Leanne now. Right. And she asked for something. I find it very amusing that people go to Scotland to dry out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm 100 days sober today. That's 100 days. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty awesome. So um, she asked Dr. Gaddas for something to help her sleep. Gaddas appreciates the situation, but wants to see Leanne face-to-face first. But Leanne doesn't want an appointment. She just wants the drugs, and she hangs up. And later, Dr. Gaddas... Right. Later, Dr. Gadas meets Simon in the street. She asks after Leanne and Simon says that she's fine and she's in France. Ho, he, ho, he, ho. And Gadas <laughs> is confused and Simon wanders off when he hears some banging, but not like that. It's uh-huh. Kelly the Chin trying to break through a steel shutter with a hockey stick at the furniture thing. She calls yes. it payback for Gary and Simon manages to calm her with the threat of PC Tinker showing up. <laughs> Leanne calls Simon back and pretends that she's in France by speaking in French and smelling of onions. <laughs> the buzzer goes and she pretends it's Eva, so she has to and go. It, but it's and not shouting at Simon that his father smells of elderberries. <laughs> right. Those are genuine insults, by the way. Yes, yes. And and it, it genuinely means that you're a drunkard. You're, so it works on so that joke works on so many levels. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelled of elderberries as saying that your yes. mother is very loosely uh yes. loose morals and your your She pops the babies out. And your father is an alcoholic. Yes. That's brilliant. Yeah. So anyway, the buzzer goes and she pretends it's Eva, so she has to go, but it's not Eva because she's not in France. It's Dr. Gadas <laughs> and Leanne lets her in. And Gadas is concerned about Leanne, while Leanne thinks that Gadas gave her the brush off earlier, which didn't really happen. Leanne is so tired, she needs to get some sleep. She feels like half a person. And Gadas asks her how she's feeling in general, and Leanne explains about Nick and Sam and Simon. And Gadas knows about the French lie, so Leanne has to say that she was only protecting Simon or something. So Gadas writes her a, a prescription and tells her to come into the surgery tomorrow, and also it's time to tell everyone that you're not in France. It's time to come clean. And so she agrees. Right. So Simon and Kelly, after the whole banging thing, but not like that, go to speed dial and they compare notes about being teenage and angsty. And Simon admits to spraying Adam's office, but it didn't make him feel any better. And then Leanne's on the couch, unable to sleep and messily get some pills from her prescription, spilling a few on the coffee table and she washes them down and seems to go to sleep. And back at speed dial, Simon is now talking about his alky dad and how Peter almost burned down the flat once and nearly killed Simon. And Kelly the Chin realises that she has some ways to go to catch up to Simon in the angsty teen stakes. 
But <laughs> Kelly's cursed you with her foster family, so she has to head off, but they agree to meet tomorrow. Then Simon calls his mum after getting a text from her saying that she loves him. Leanne is out for the count, so he leaves a nice wee message for her about how he reckons he'll be getting his hole pretty soon here. <laughs> and on Friday, in the factory, Nick tries calling Leanne, but she's still passed out on the couch in an impossible position. Her head seemed to be hanging off the, the edge of the couch. It didn't look comfortable at all. No. He quizzes Toya, who insists that she was fine the last time that they spoke, and he shouldn't worry, because this is all why uh, that he has all those frown lines. And right. Nick's like, you're supposed to say what frown lines? But no, you really do have frown lines. She went to France for a change of scenery. Then they compare notes about how wonderful the time was with Sam and Mason. And Simon is in Roy's roles in one of his two yeah, shirts. because your actual son and a foster child that you had for 24 hours are absolutely the same thing. Right. Simon is in Roy's roles in one of his two shirts. Nina thinks he's looking swish, but then Shona comes in who tells him that he's reeking of aftershave and that shirt makes him look like a waiter. His only other shirt is at Leanne's, so he's instructed to go and get it and have a shower while he's at it. Yes. On the way, he grabs a bunch of flowers and then he bumps into Nick, who reiterates the importance of a shower because he really, really is stinking. Nick seems to know who Kelly is, which surprised me. Nick Mm -hmm. asks about Leanne, who Simon has had a text from, and then he says that he's off to the flat to get changed. And Nick looks a little bit concerned here. So Simon gets to the flat for his shower and discovers Leanne still passed out with the pills scattered on the coffee table. Mum, he shouts from two metres away. And she murmurs but doesn't wake up. Simon calls Nick and leaves a message but uh, because he isn't picking up, so then he calls an ambulance. And then someone Which is in, what he should have done the first time. The first time, right. Then Summer and Kelly the Chin are enjoying a girly wee chat about Kelly's upcoming date that isn't a date that she hasn't made an effort for, that she's made an effort for. And they wander by the ambulance that's parked outside the flat. Because now and it's And are not curious about it at all. Not one little bit. And now it's no. Leanne's turn to be in hospital. She's awake now oh, and she's looking awful. She's like yeah. so drawn and so drained. It looks like she hasn't slept in, in forever. And no. explains to Simon that she doesn't try to kill herself. She only took a couple of sleeping pills. And oh yeah, she never went to France after all. And while all this is going on, Kelly the Chin is at speed dial, starting to think that she's been stood up by Simon. Yeah. And Ash and Leanne has to face some tough questions from Simon about what he faced in the flat there. And she's sorry about it. She just wanted to be left alone. Everything that was happening with Mason and Sam was too much and it made her angry and then she hated being angry. The pain of her loss hasn't gone away, it's just got worse. So Summer sees Nick and Roy's roles and the two of them seem to be on speaking terms as well. She explains... Right, yeah. (laughs) Does everybody... (laughs) Nick has Summer's phone number or whatever. She explains about the ambulance so Nick tries to get hold of Simon who is not answering his phone now. Outside, Summer and Nick run into Kelly, who confirms that Simon stood her up. Nick is surprised because he bought her flowers, and Summer thought Simon was better than that. Based on and what? None of the three. None of the three of them remember the ambulance. You know. Oh no! Summer did say to Nick and Roy's Rose that there was an ambulance. Right. Yeah, but then afterwards, you know, they don't. Nobody puts two and two together because if, Summer seems to put two and two together when she said. Is Simon all right? Because I saw an ambulance outside of Victoria Victoria Court. And uh, so it crosses her mind that Simon might be hurt. But then when there's confirmation that Simon didn't show up somewhere where he was supposed to be, that he was really looking forward to, nobody says, oh, dear, right. perhaps Simon really is hurt. No, they all immediately go to Simon stood Kelly up. Right. Meanwhile, Simon and Leanne are back in the flat. 
Leanne sees the flowers, but Simon pretends that they were for Jenny, who was upset in a different storyline. Leanne right. doesn't want anyone to know she's there and then has to dash into the bedroom as Nick comes in. <laughs> no, that was hilarious. Don't tell him I'm here. Right. <laughs> Runs away. So Nick sees Simon in the mess in the flat and he obviously puts two and two together. And what's going on here? Simon spins a story about staying there on and off and then Nick spots the empty wine bottles and wonders if Simon's been drinking. Simon says it was only a couple. And then Nick quizzes him about Kelly the chin. And <laughs> From he, each bottle. Right. <laughs> then, <laughs> yeah. Each of these 15 bottles of wine that are here. Right. Then Nick quizzes him about Kelly the Chin and how he chickened out. Nick blames himself for not answering the phone to address Simon's wobbles and says that he's always there for him, apart from a few hours ago when he wasn't. Nick right. leaves and then Leanne comes back in. And that he can come to the factory even though he doesn't work at the factory and pull him out of meetings anytime. Right. But not like that. Yes. Nick leaves and then Leanne comes back out, feeling bad because she didn't know that Simon had a date. Simon doesn't care. He's here to look after her. But then he looks kind of sad because he's probably not going to get his hole after all. No. Later, Leanne is asleep when Simon gets a call from Kelly the Chin. He pretends to be sick, which is why he didn't turn up. That was a terrible ploy. Yeah. Just, no, don't do that. Explain what happened. Anyway, and says that he was asleep, which is why he didn't call her. She doesn't believe him and refuses his offer to make it up to her. She tells him not to call again. Then Leanne stirs as Simon finishes making dinner. He wants to tell someone that she's there, like Nick or Toya, so he can go out and get his hole. But Leanne says no. All she needs is Simon. Pig's tits, says Simon. And that's how we end this week's episodes, which were dedicated to the loving memory of Adele Rose, 1933 to 2020. So, Simon, I guess they put these little clauses in where Leanne is, like, you can't tell anybody, nobody must know. And then Simon seems to apply this to Kelly the Chin, that he can't mm-hmm. tell her why he didn't turn up when that's not really what Leanne's talking about. What Leanne's talking yeah. about is don't tell Nick and don't tell Toya, basically. Right. I suppose, um, considering, you know, the the friendly first name basis that that Nick is on <laughs> with Kelly and with Summer, mm-hmm. that, that Simon is rightly afraid that summer or kelly might tell nick the truth but yeah it's that's about and the way and the way summer's in the background saying no he's making this up Mm -hmm. the old summer wouldn't do that i don't know if i like this new summer (laughs) yeah she's been a little bit uh interfering doesn't she yeah because kelly doesn't seem like the sort of girl who needs any uh doesn't need her actions confirmed by anybody Right. She kind of just makes up her own mind to batter down steel doors with hockey sticks and, and things like that. She, she's, <laughs> she's prepared to fly by her own power, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. I quite like the idea of Simon and Kelly, though. Yeah, me too. That I was really disappointed that that didn't happen because I think they would be I think they would be a good match because they both had shitty fathers. Right. And they potentially could become a Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There is that. They could be the spray paint and hockey stick hitting <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde. Right. Getting chased around Weatherfield by PC Tinker <laughs> on his wee tricycle. <laughs> PC Tinker turned up so many times this week. Uh, and yet, none of them effectively. <laughs> Oops, I've started this wee thing where I'm just posting on Twitter, P. 
PC Tinker has a situation under control where it's <laughs> where I, I feel like it's PC Tinker's inner monologue. <laughs> Just try to boost himself up a little bit. <laughs> I've got this under control. PC Tinker has this under control. PC Tinker is aware of the situation. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit of fun out of that. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I don't I don't know as far as the Leanne thing is concerned. Um, it doesn't feel like this is improving any for her, but it hasn't been an awful long time. But I don't think shutting people out and pretending to be in France is really the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's going to come out. Yeah, it's got to. Because, and she promised Dr. Gadas that she was going to, um, that she was going to come clean. Right. So Dr. Gadas is going to, you know, say something to Nick or to Toya. You know. Oh, that's right. Before yeah. Simon does. She's going to be under the impression that there's no secrets to keep here. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it's going to come out anyway, and all we've done is prevent Simon and Kelly from hooking up, right. which is, you know, which is a couple I can stand behind. Yeah. So far, I, I, I don't think we've seen much of Simon in a romantic capacity. In fact, the only time we've really talked about his love life was when he announced that he couldn't be the father of Amy's baby because he was a virgin. Right, yes. It seemed difficult to determine what was the main thrust of that storyline, whether it was the Simon and Kelly part or if it was the Leanne part. or Right, if Kelly was just a foil used to get Simon to go change his shirt and to have to go into that. Because right. I was wondering, how are they going to get Simon to go in there mm-hmm. and, and then, find her? And then the show nothing happened. You go, okay, this is how they're going to do it. Right. But you're right, it's like, I really, really hope not. I really hope that the Simon and Kelly thing wasn't just a foil to get Simon into the flat. Yeah, and I'm also relieved that this means that they're not going to try to do a thing where Simon has romantic feelings for Shona. I'm relieved that's not actually going to happen. Oh, God, yeah, because that looked like it was going to be a thing a few weeks ago. I know, and Yeesh. I was like, oh, please don't do this. Right. Oh. Well, that was the yeah, week that no. was Coronation Street. It was. Uh, it had its moments, but... It wasn't but a bad week. It wasn't it, a great you know, week. There, there was a lot to laugh at. I, it, was, it was a good week because it gave me lots of things to laugh at in a week that I really needed stuff to laugh at. Right. So... That's fair. Beyond, you know, crazy people storming the Capitol building. Mm-hmm. Looking like idiots. Yes. And Donald Trump getting his Twitter taken away permanently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Those are the things I laughed at this week. Yeah. So thank you, Coronation Street, for, for bringing a little joy into my life right. when I desperately needed it. Yep. Well, this feels like it's gone okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're not here is obviously... Um, it, it takes something, I think, from... Right. And the fact that I'm sitting in a bathtub. <laughs> right, because now I, I'm imagining you sitting in a bathtub. <laughs> but, um, it's oh. a nice bathtub. It's one of those big clawfoot ones. Oh. Very nice, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think we've proved that the the phone link thing works on this little machine. Right. You're on Facebook Messenger, and you're not you're not crystal clear, but I think you're you're good enough. Yeah. Which which is a great thing to say at the end of this. <laughs> right. Maybe it would be better to say at the start when there was maybe other things that we could have uh, explored, but no, I think it's been right. good enough. What was your moment of the week? 
Oh, gosh, I had something, and now I can't remember what it was. Is it Tyrone and Evelyn? I'm saying you have to, you know, you have to do what makes you happy, man. Well, at the same time, you can tell that he's heartbroken, and it's written all over his face. Or Evelyn talking to Cerberus about it on the couch. That was really sweet. Or Roy and Evelyn going to take a walk at the end of that storyline this week. The donkey jacket bit. Yeah. Well, what else are we are we skipping over then? Let's see. We have. <laughs> Uh, what what was your idea for moment of the week? I wasn't sure. I thought this was a difficult one to pick out. I, I try and write down things as they happen so we don't forget about them. But I don't have anything anything written down. The Gary stuff with Faye and Maria. I don't think yeah. there was really much in that. No. Uh, the Coronation Towers. There wasn't a really good moment. No. That, unless. Um, unless. Unless it's it's Abby. Abby's <laughs> you take her with a bullhorn. The tiniest bullhorn. Do you know, I, I think that might be my moment of the week. <coughs> that was pretty funny because he looked like he'd been shot. <laughs> I don't know, but Tyrone was so lovely with his nan. And we've never, we, when was the last time we gave it to Tyrone? Blue Steel, not so long ago. <laughs> Do you remember Blue Steel? <laughs> well, it was like a month ago. It wasn't anything to do with Michael and Grace, I don't think. No, no, none of that storyline is worthy of anything. Johnny. There were funny bits of it. There were funny bits. The bits that aren't meant to be funny, but... Is it Evelyn then? Evelyn and Tyrone? Yes, I think it's Evelyn and Tyrone. Evelyn and Tyrone talking about the... What the... What makes you happy. Yeah, do what makes you happy, Nan. That's our... Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Is it Michael staring at an envelope? Nah. Is it Jenny coloring? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and explaining about how, you know, Kathy has explained to her that adult coloring books are a thing now, even though they were a thing three years ago. So that seems like... supposed to relax you. You say adult coloring, but can I imagine you're coloring in a You know, it's like Playboy, bits. right? Right. It's not. No. Because, I mean, I remember I bought that uh, Doctor Who coloring book for myself to do uh, on the plane trip to um, to the Caymans. And, you know, I got halfway through one page and said, this is boring AF, <laughs> and put it away and read that book about, um, you know, a pandemic on a plane instead. <laughs> What's the name of that book? You really like it. Oh, uh, Station Eleven. Station Eleven, my favorite book. Yeah. Yeah. One of one of the many good books about pandemics that should have warned us. The the, the reason why I really like that book, um, or one of the reasons why I really like that book, it's just written beautifully. Um, yes. But it's the in the the post apocalyptic world after the the pandemic, the thing that is bringing people together together is art and mm-hmm. theatre and creativity is what is holding people together. I really like that notion. And it is a nice notion. And it was set kind of roundabout where we live. Yes. So, Jenny Colouring is our boring, boring moment of the week. 
See, I'm actually doing these things and you're talking over them. It's a real shame that you can't hear them. No, I'll it's all right. See if I can figure it out. It's all right. Shall we wrap this one up then? That's part of the charm is when we muck things up. Yes, please. <laughs> so if you, like PC Tinker, have ever urged a large group of women to calm down, <laughs> <laughs> let us know how long it took before someone... A large group of women and Roy... <laughs> Let us know how long it took before someone punched you in your stupid face. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com, which is also our address on Skype for voicemail and on PayPal if you want to chuck a couple of bucks into our virtual tip jar. We're at, Corey, we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Please check out our merch store and YouTube channel, links to which you can find on our Twitter bio or on the other stuff page off the talk of the street.podbean.com. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more Talk of the Street. Street. Bye. Cheerio.